Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for another episode of Hardcore Church Planning. And uh, Peyton, why don't you introduce our guest? All right. Well, uh, we have our guest is pretty hardcore, as Arnold would say. And uh, we have a guy who uh, is really... Uh, he, he's, uh, when I think of him, I think of him as kind of like, uh, the, 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 you know, the peas and carrots with, uh, there's, there's, okay. When you think of Brad Briscoe, who do you think of, right? You think of Brad Briscoe and Lance Ford or Lance Ford and Brad Briscoe. I'm not saying one gets top billing, but our guest today is author, speaker, uh, conference organizer, head of centralized together with Brad. And his name is Lance Ford. Lance, welcome on to Hardcore Church Planning. Thanks. Good to be here. That was the worst introduction to anyone ever. But uh, you, you should have said he's also a political figure because he wrote a book called UN Leader. <laughs> yes, yes, UN Leader. Thanks, thanks for pointing that out, Pete. I, I appreciate it. We'll send you your portion of royalties for promoting it as such. <laughs> I just remember you guys awesome. saying that when we uh, when we met up with you at Exponential. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone thinks it's UN leader. It's unleader, unleader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody wants to be a UN leader. We we always think that uh, it's probably good that God didn't put us too close together because we, we laugh when we're with you guys, and we'd probably get in all kinds of trouble. So it's probably good that we... Yeah, gotta- I can only imagine. It probably is good that, that you guys live where it's beautiful and warm and Brad and I are down here suffering in the <laughs> in the frozen tundra of the Midwest. What's the weather like right now there? Uh, no, it's not bad. It's like in the mid thirties right now. Oh, a little snow yeah. on the ground, so yeah, it's not it's not too bad. I mean, I'm not in I'm not in Holland, Michigan, or somewhere like that. You know, where they're you know they can't even get to their mailboxes. So uh, it's not too bad. It's I been think, it's been I, a good winter. It's I been a mild winter. I think we're in the low seventies here. So you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anybody can serve Jesus in the low 70s, so. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, you know, I, I kind of I kind of said that you were, uh, you know, kind of a tag team, and I think you are. I think you guys are definitely doing what you're doing two by two, but you've written books, in, in, in not only with uh, Alan uh, Hirsch right here, right now, uh, but you've also, you've written, you know, a series of your own books, uh, but you've written together with Brad, and I just... You know, mm-hmm. I, I love you two guys, man, how you just, you're two guys kind of tag teaming for missional movement. But first off, tell us a little bit about how you came to Christ. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the South, uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and, uh, uh, grew up in a, in a Baptist slash Nazarene family, really. Uh, my, my grandparents are Nazarene. My dad came to the Lord when I was about six. He had been an alcoholic and was a local country and western musician and so he had a real radical conversion 
And, um, but so, but growing up, I would spend like half my time. We would, we would go every week, every other weekend, we would go and spend the weekend with, with, with our, my grandparents and the whole family would. And, um, they were Nazarenes, but then my dad went to Southwestern in Fort Worth. And so we were, we were like, you know, Southern Baptists. So I, I got a, a lot of that, uh, mixture growing up. But then in my mid teens, I did that deal that a lot of young guys do, you know, I was chasing girls and, and and football and and um that was all i cared about really walked away from the lord but then had a very prodigal like uh return when i was just when i turned 19 and and then never looked back after that and um uh so you know it it truly was a was a deal where sin abounded grace so much more abounded you know at that point and so uh then went down that pathway. Uh, uh, I immediately went into Bible college and ended up becoming a youth pastor. Uh, eventually uh, ended up in the vineyard movement for a while, for a few years, where I planted my first church uh, in the in the St. Louis area. So, and that was 20 years ago. So, hmm. um, yeah, that's the nickel tour. How did you uh, How did you get started with church planting? Well. Um, I, I had been, um, I was a co-pastor, uh, at a, in a church that we had actually, uh, brought into the vineyard movement in a, in a small town, uh, in mid Missouri called Rolla, Missouri. And, uh, uh, so I, it had been on my heart for a few years to plant, to, 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 to do church planting. And now this was, you know, we're old enough now, aren't we Peyton, that we can say back in the day, we can say this was back then when. Um, Thank you for referencing no me on that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I just wanted Pete. to drag you under the bus <laughs> with me. I saw your ankles there as I was under it, and I reached out and just pulled you under with me. <laughs> That's what Lance said. That's what Lance said. <laughs> That's it. So um, I uh, wanted to plant, but, you know, there. this is back in the day. There was no exponential. There was no catalyst. There was no, you know, all these church planting opportunities to learn conferences and all this stuff. I had. I had Robert Logan's Church Planners Toolkit, and if you remember that, it had cassette tapes, had a little binder in the middle of it, and yeah. I just wore that out. You know, I would just we had a couple of acres, and I would mow the yard, and and just listen to those tapes for hours and hours and hours, and just trying to figure out well, what does it mean? And then I went and grabbed some guerrilla marketing. Literally, just back in the day, the guerrilla marketing books came out, and. Uh, Put through some of those under my arm, and there was about eight of us that moved about 100 miles away, and parachute dropped, um, and you know, we started, you know, trying to plant this church, and that's that's the way we got started. How fun, man! And you know, it, it's interesting because um, uh, the vineyard had some great stuff going on back then. Um, were you in contact with Fred Heron at all? Yeah, of course. Fred's here in Kansas City. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you know, um, he's been uh, part of the vineyard movement forever, and you know, the vineyard then was so much known for church planting and Todd Hunter. Um, I mean, those were in the last years when I planted. It was just the last three or four years of John Wimber's life, and then Todd Hunter came in with a big vision also about church planting. Um, so it was a good atmosphere, you know, for all of that. And then that once again, this was the 94, 95, and this was really at the height of the seeker movement. Um, Of course, Steve Shogren had the servant evangelism thing going on. Um, And I think all that was very much siege to this missional movement now. And this is, 
you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Um, uh, Bill Hybels and Rick Warren get a lot of heat for um, the attractional stuff, but I don't think that they get enough credit for sowing the seeds for the missional movement because Amen, to me, brother. you know, I mean, to me, those guys were the first ones that in my own, in my, in, as, a, as a pastor or a leader, they were provocative and mm. mind, mind and halt, uh, heart altering for me as far as getting my eyes turned outward and, and um, yell to the lost and, hey, the church doesn't exist for itself. And so I just think that they just I, I, I just think that they turned the, the hard soil up for the mission you know, movement. And it's I, so you know, funny you say that, because um, I remember, gosh, years ago watching um, Bill Hybels uh, just walk across a room. And that mm-hmm. is really just he's trying to convey hey, relational uh, missional, you know, thinking missional. Yeah. All these uh, sailboat stories of his guys, you know, that he's yeah. reading. That's missional stuff to the core, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually met that sailboat dude in that video. Uh, <laughs> Did it, you it, really? Super. Yeah, I was at Exponential, and uh, I, <laughs> this guy's like, hi. And he, I turn around, and I'm at my booth, and uh, I turn around, and it's super. I'm like, I know you. And uh, he's like, yeah, you saw the Bill Hybels video. <laughs> I'm a celebrity. But, uh, but anyway, well, hey, man, how did, uh, how did the term, because you are, you are not just, uh, I mean, when I think of you, uh, not only did you write the book Missional Quest, which was phenomenal for all of our listeners, if you're kind of like, I, I hear the term missional, I know it's a buzzword, but I don't understand it. You've got to get Lance and Brad's book, The Missional Quest. I appreciate that. It's to introduce people who were kind of feeling lost in the whole conversation and give them a crash course on it. And it was a timely book. But when did Missional first come across your radar? When did that kind of connect with you? Yeah, well, I was three years in the church plant. It was going really well. Once again, we parachute dropped. We had eight people when we started. And, and, um, uh, and I'm not even sure what the vineyard does now because I've been out of the vineyard for a long time. But back then they gave they gave me $2,500 moving expenses and and an attaboy, and and that was it. So uh, it was very raw uh, when we started. But in in about three years, um, we we probably had you know about 400 people that were really part of our body and and consistent in it. But um, I, I felt something was really missing. Now all of our trends were going upward, everything was I, I I got to the point where I was getting getting um health insurance again and dental and all that. So that's that's you've reached a real goal as a church planner when you get to that point, you know. So when you get things to dental, are going quote yeah. yeah, when you get to dental you and then if you get optical then you're just there. So um but it was going well. But I on the inside I knew something was wrong as I just kind of surveyed our church and our people and the life that they were living. And I just had to kind of come to a conclusion that, that we all, myself included, that we, we were, we were really just living the American dream and adding Jesus to it. Just kind of sprinkling Jesus on top of it. And, um, and I knew for myself as a leader, as a pastor, I was obsessed with my church. And so I couldn't wake up, uh, and, and even have a clear day hardly without obsessing over leadership and, in my church and everything, and then looking at what we were, the results we were getting. So 
This was 98, and two books came out in 98. You'll remember Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard, and then The Missional Church with, with Daryl Gooder, and that was the first time I ever heard the word Missional Church. Well, those two books kind of sandwiched me and just really devastated me um, because I, I looked and said, we're, we're, we're making church, but we're not making disciples. And mm-hmm. um, so that caused me to go on this journey of saying, and then when I saw this language that Guter used, and, he, and, and it was this, you know, this striking phrase that we've all heard now, hmm. but where he said that the that by and large the just this the 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 attractional church, if it's just attractional, is is a becomes a vendor of religious goods and services. But that gave me language for what I was feeling and what I was yeah. analyzing in my own church. So that that was when it began for me. Mm. So, okay, so you, I mean, really, you're uh, not only, a, a, I would say, a, spos- a spokesman for the missional concept, but you're even a bit of a, a I would say, almost like a champion for it. You're, you're a missional defender. Um, you're passionate about defending this theological concept, and it is a theological concept. Um, tell us about why it's so important to you. Well, I think that it goes right to the heart of, of, the DNA of the church and the call of the church. Um, uh, when you look at the, in the Gospels, you see that Jesus was forming a sent people. You know, and this this goes to the Missio Dei. This goes to the the, the Trinity itself. You know, um, God sent the Spirit. The Spirit sent the Son, and the Son sends the church. Um, so it's it it it's um, ecclesiastical to me. It it has every. It's not it's. It's not optional. It is, it's our identity as the called and sent people of God. So uh, that's why I'm so passionate about it. And I, I think that the, the missional conversation, you know, usually in, in every movement, in every trend, there are, is always a, uh, there, you know, you, you, when you look at the diffusion of innovation, there's the, there's the early, uh, there's the innovators and the early adapters and, you know, and and, and the, the laggards and all that, but it's always it's it's usually kind of the prophetic types that are the the uh, and the apostolic types that are the innovators and the early adapters. And of course, the prophetic types come in like Jeremiah to root up, pull down, throw down, destroy, then build and plant. So I think the early uh, the early conversations in in the missional um, about the missional ethos was very much prophetically driven. So it came across as very heavy handed. And, um, you know, and so like, you know, the the idea is if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And so uh, I I think that that set a lot of people back because, in fact, uh, there's a story Brad talks about uh, here, I don't know, four or five years ago. He had given um, he'd given a book uh, is one of Alan was Alan and and uh, Alan Hirsch and, and Michael Frost, The Shaping of Things to Come, which, you know, had a huge play for a lot of us. Um, he had given this book, or this guy had started reading it or whatever, and so they were, uh, after a month or so, they discussed it, and Brad was at his church building, they were standing in the foyer, and he asked the guy, well, what did you think about about uh, The Shaping of Things to Come? And the guy just kind of kind of looked up to the ceiling, kind of waved his arms, and said, I think, I think, uh, I think those guys are saying that all this sucks. And um, I think that that is what a lot of people heard, but that definitely was not the intention for coming from uh, from Alan and Mike. Uh, 
they love the church and love it dearly. But, you know, sometimes I think people in the missional conversation can think, uh, or when some people first hear the missional conversation, if they've really poured a lot into building churches and starting churches, they feel like, well, hey, you're saying everything I've done is wrong here. And so I think the conversation now, I think in the last four or five years, it's really started shifting away from kind of that heavy-handed language, and people are realizing, mm-hmm. no, this this is a both-and conversation. You better, 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 better be attractional. Jesus, was Jesus attractive and attractional? Yeah. Absolutely he was. And so you better be both. So it's a both-and. So the reason I'm such a defender of it is is that I believe that we've got to hold on to what we have, but we need to add the mission. And if we get both of these things going, uh, then Sunday morning is going to be incredible. When you've got a, a group of people, a congregation that have just lived a week of living out where they live, work, and play on mission, and they come back, man, you you got celebration, and 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 you get refilled, and you go out again. So, I don't know. That's a little soapbox. But. Tell, tell me, Lance, what does it look like at your church plants and, and the churches that you work with? What does that look like for a church to be both attractional and missional? How does that actually come into play? And and literally, what does it look like for the people in the church? Well, you know, it can look so many ways. And one of the things I try to avoid, I do avoid, um, is I don't want to teach models. Um I want to teach principles and practices that are adaptable to context and and calling. So you may have someone that has a a, a huge capacity to um, with with a gift mix that draws a lot of people and holds a lot of people, um, but you may have someone else that may be, you know, just the opposite almost, but still have an apostolic calling on their life. So. That first guy, he may be able to start a church off and just, you know, rock it out and draw huge numbers uh, with his gifts and callings. The other guy may be more set to start, you know, maybe open a coffee shop and be bivocational, but have several missional communities get going in a locale. So I think it can look lots of different ways. Um, I think it will, and it always does look all kinds of different ways. But the common denominator of it, is that you are raising up a people um, that are are taking ownership of their neighborhoods. They're taking ownership of their workplaces. They're taking ownership of the marketplaces. And they know that, hey, part of my call as a person of God is not just to try to hold on and, you know, until the left behind story manifests, you know, but that no, I am really called as as a as a missionary. Every person is is a missionary. So we we really think that the common denominator is missionary identity in the people of God. Yeah. But then Sunday mornings, Saturday nights, whatever your weekend services can look, it can, it can you know I mean it it can look a myriad of ways. I don't think that the box is what's important. I think is I think what's important is getting the people out of the box. You know. Yeah. Uh, so. Give us your um, your coolest church planning story. (laughs) (laughs) Coolest church planting. Well, one of my favorite church planting stories actually is a church that that came out of the church that um, that we planted in St. Louis. And there was a a young couple. They had been youth pastors. Um, They were in kind of the north, uh, the northern part of of uh, of St. Louis, and 
Tim uh, was uh, was a bike builder, a motorcycle builder. That's what he did. Um, and he built Harleys. And, and in fact, he won't touch anything that's not built in. That doesn't originate out of Milwaukee. He won't even touch it. So, <laughs> um, but but uh, and then Christy. Uh, so they were kind of like, just kind of like these modern day flower children, um, but just really grounded in the Lord, love the Lord. And um, they started this ministry called Joshua House that uh, they they kind of had a unique um, housing situation. They had the, they had this house and they had about an acre right in the, right in the middle of, of uh, North uh, St. Louis. And so they they kind of started this this Friday night ministry out of our church building and called Joshua House. They just started drawing a lot of younger people. Gosh, that was about 12 years ago, I think. And it's evolved now. And then they moved back. They moved over where their house is. Now they built built a building and all this kind of stuff. And it is this incredible eclectic mix. Of, if you go there on Sunday morning, um, there'll be a, a there'll be a huge. It'll look like you'll think that you've come to a biker bar or something. So you got all these these um, these bikers. And all these motorcycles sitting out front, but then there'll probably be two or three horse trailers there too, because you got like these cowboy church people there there too. It's just a <laughs> funky thing, man. And then you got single moms, you got college kids, and then you got people, you know, in their sixties and seventies. It is the it was one of the most, and then then you've got a very uh, racial mix in there too. So it's one of the most beautiful pictures I think of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And but the common denominator is that they're raising people that are are called to go into their context, and um, it's just it's a beautiful thing. So that's that's one of my very favorite church plants. That's awesome, man. It sounds like when you get a bunch of like different Lego kits together, like the pirate Legos, the, the castle Legos, you know, the space Legos. You put them like it's like the Lego yeah. movie. That's what it sounds like. The Lego yeah. movie as a church, yeah. like none of this that's stuff it. goes together, but it's working. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I think in cartoons. I can't help it. <laughs> so tell us, uh, we only got you for a few more minutes. Tell us a little bit about um, your church now and and kind of where you're at with um, church planning and how you see guys getting trained up and sent out. Because that's a cool story. And I'm sure uh, that's just one of them. I'm sure you've seen some really cool stuff. Well, here in Kansas City, it's been interesting. We've been here. We moved from St. Louis. Uh, my wife and I have become empty nesters four and a half years ago, and we had a little hobby farm, and we kind of we totally changed context. So we moved from there to to Kansas City because Brad Briscoe and I had really started developing a few things together, and we really felt like um, a mutual call here to Kansas City to to you know work uh, and create a network of relationships with existing churches and church planters um, that had a heart for for people uh, on mission and for the churches to be on mission. So here in Kansas City, I'm involved in actual several uh, different uh, communities of faith slash churches. Uh, the most proximate um, and relationally that I'm involved in, actually my buddy next door, uh, a guy named John Shirley, and some people may be familiar with John. He's a he's a, a worship leader that's known nationally. He's part of uh, uh, the leadership that he's really basically a co-pastor of a church here called the Gathering Network. That they actually meet twice uh, a month 
for corporate worship that then missional communities meet throughout the week. And so um, uh, their missional community actually is next door, so it couldn't be any closer. It could, it, and then if it was in our own living room, um, love those guys. Uh, but then also Brad and I lead a nonprofit profit here called uh, Mission House. And uh, so that's on the Kansas City, Kansas side, about 15 minutes from me. We have a huge, it's 5,000 square foot, 100-year-old house that's been totally rehabbed. They're in a, in a really hard part of Kansas City, Kansas. And we have a lot of young people that live there and have just dug into that neighborhood. So that's a big ongoing part of our fellowship and church life. Uh, in fact, we run a we run a summer internship out of there. It's a pretty phenomenal internship. That's a paid internship that we have a couple of openings for. By the way, so if anyone's interested in that, they could they could look us up and check that out. But um, wow. that's kind of our whole life on mission here in Kansas City and and with the church. That's cool, man. That's very cool. So, Lance, one of the things I want to ask you because um, you're no stranger to controversy, right? You. Uh, you mix it up Me? a little bit. No, no. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what's coming over. Um, but, you know, you, you, I, what I like about you is you rattle the cages with, with what you write. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a bit of a cage rattler myself. And in some ways, kind of. yeah, just a little bit. But, you know, the cool thing, <laughs> man, is uh, I, one of the things I want to know is, is what out of everything you've done, because you do, you have that prophetic edge to you. What, what um, what's been the most controversial thing that you've written, or the thing that seems to get the most reaction? Some sometimes people's mis misperception, right? Sometimes yeah. they're not, sometimes they're not. But I'm just curious to know kind of what's been the most controversial thing so far. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess a couple of things. Um, one probably, I mean, my book, Unleader, not the UN Leader book, but Unleader. <laughs> The other one, uh, you know, yeah, Unleader, you know, that's a book that's never going to be a bestseller because it's <laughs> it's um, it really and, and I and I'll be I'm just can I just be honest here, yeah. and really raw. So yeah. I'll just say it because I was saying it before, and I'm not saying I'm not a Monday morning quarterback on this, but I had to be honest with you. I just after years and years of looking at the leadership um, obsession in the church, I. I think that the church growth industry created a leadership industrial complex in the hmm. church. And so we lost our identity as sons and servants of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we, we started living out the identity as leaders and we adapted so many leadership practices that they're straight out of the world that are straight out of the things that Jesus clearly forbade that people started just drinking it like, Kool-Aid and not even noticing the difference. And so it finally imploded here just a few months ago uh, in mm -hmm. the biggest way from Seattle. And so I, I'll be honest, as I, because I knew, um, I, I, I knew firsthand plenty of stuff that was going on over the last few years that even that we would allow and just wink at the type of leadership that was coming out of there and then uh, proliferated through conferences and through leadership models uh, as if it was all right. Uh, it, it was egregious. And I think finally the Lord said, okay, yeah, enough is enough. And so I, I think a lot of things I've said about leadership have been probably the most 
controversial, you know, stuff. Yeah. But um, it's really I think we hard. just got it. We got to get it right, man. Yeah, it's really hard to write to leaders and to basically to your target audience, right? Because unleaders typically, I mean, it's target audience is leaders, really. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the book is saying, hey, <laughs> hey leaders, you kind of suck. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, you know, it, it, you know, it's kind of funny because like what we we're just talking about about the missional church is saying, okay, you know, all the people read it and go, it's saying that you got it all wrong. It's really not saying you got it all wrong. Well, in Unleader, I'm basically saying, yeah, you got it all wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've yeah, pretty much enough. got it all wrong because <laughs> mean spiritedness, um, this haughtiness, this prideful leadership type of stuff. There's nothing that could be further from what Jesus was all about, and clearly even just said it will not be this way among you. I mean, you Whoa. can sense I'm I'm getting up on the edge of my seat right now as we're talking. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that. But then, um, so yeah, I think that that's one of the things that we just we still need to 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 work really hard on. You know, is to bow our knee to Jesus and truly cast our crowns down. So. Well, there you go, mentioning that Jesus guy again. And I'll just tell you something, you know, a little career advice. Um, that guy got killed for rattling the cages <laughs> and telling leadership they're wrong. So I, I just, you know, maybe follow what he did. I'm, I'm just saying if you want to be a successful leader there, Lance, just a little career advice. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. A little survival, little survival advice. You're right. You know, I, I've got. I know we're pretty much out of time, so I'm just going to ask one final question. It's uh, it's one that everyone listening to this, after hearing everything you just said about uh, you know leadership, is is going to have on the back of their mind, and that of course is if you and Brad were to get into a fist fight, who would win? Yeah, baby, come on, smack talking. Here it goes. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm from Texas, so. I thought he was going to say, no, here's the deal. We already know the answer. <laughs> no. Okay. So that, that's me talking from a distance. The truth is, <laughs> Brad is like a rock. And now he's old. He's an old rock. He's an old rock. But seriously, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. I, I, I could probably outrun him, but that would be probably my biggest chance. I'll just be admit, the dude is chiseled. In fact, uh, a lot of people that know him. He's just chiseled, man. He just works at it. And and really it saved his life here a couple of years ago. A lot of people that know Brad know he he uh uh he went through West Nile virus and it almost it really almost killed him. And um and the doctors they say uh I mean it had a hold of him. That if he hadn't been in such great shape it probably would have got him or at least it would have you know, it would have messed him up permanently. So um wow. that's a testament. And then I think he came out of that and just even started working out harder so he's a, well, I, he's a, I he's a tough old dude <laughs> yeah dude i remember seeing first off he's big now you and i lance you know we're we're scrappy we're short and we got that yes yeah, that yeah we, 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 we're, we spider monkey fight man yeah <laughs> absolutely we're like yoda in uh whatever attack of the clones movie and so, you know, here's yeah. the deal, man. You know, at the end of the day, though, he is a big dude and he is fit. I remember first time I met Brad, I'm like, dude, like, I mean, it, it was kind of awkward. It's like, dude, you work out or something? And, and he kind of smiled. He, 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 he toned it down, though. He was like, oh, not really. Run something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, man. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, but you got, I like the fact that hey, I, I can kick, I can kick Hershey's butt, though, any day. So. <laughs> Hey, you and Tim catch him both can kick his butt. Tim answered the same thing. 
I feel sorry for the church planner. It goes, no, I think Alan could take me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be bad. But Alan, see, here's the deal, though. Alan, Alan will bring up, though, he would come back and go, no way, because he's like, I was in the South African Army. And I'm like, they even have an army? Do I was going to say, who? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, does Canada, does Canada still have, do they have an army? I mean, so. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, it has been awesome having you on here. And uh, again, it's been Lance Ford. You can check out the uh, centralized conference that he's a part of. Pete and I have been there. Church Planner Magazine once sponsored it. And uh, he's written uh, tons of books that you ought to read. The Missional Quest, Right Here, Right Now, Unleader. And then the one we didn't really get to, but maybe we'll have you back sometime, is Revangelical. And uh, that's becoming the good news people we're meant to be. And that's by Lance Ford and Dan Kimball. Check those out. You can find them on Amazon. Um, you can also find uh, or any of your books over at the Missio site. Lance, are you a part of you? Yeah, no, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely work with with those guys, but I don't have anything under Missio Publishing. So okay, no. All right, but there's great stuff over there. Absolutely, and I and I did not mention Missional Essentials, which. Uh, is uh, another book that you can grab. So, Lance, man, it's been great having you on here. We appreciate you being on uh, Hardcore Church Planning. All right, Arnold, take it. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.